0: Welcome to Humans of CX, a podcast powered by Ozontel. We share the latest insights in customer experience from industry experts to help you humanize your approach, placing empathy at the center of the customer experience. I'm your host, Todd Vecca. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Humans of CX. I'm your host, Todd Vecca. Today, I'm pretty excited to be joined by Alex Farmer. Alex is the founder of Customer Success Excellence, Chief Customer Officer at Nizaza, Author, CS Award winner. Alex, thank you so much for today. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. Great to be here. Can you tell our audience just a little bit about yourself,
1: your background, some of the things that you've been doing lately? Absolutely. I'll keep it uh, brief, I promise, but I am going to go back to where I'm from. I'm actually originally from California, so I'm not here to start about the story of my youth, but I moved out to the UK about 10 years ago. So I grew up in California, in Silicon Valley, and pretty much moved out here six months after I started my career. And I've been in tech for the last decade. I have a career spanning implementation, support, and customer success, and now customer success leadership. I spent five years at a company called Fair Sale. I was there as employee 32 And we went through kind of the 1 million to 20 million scaling story. So it was like, I like to call it a uh, business school. I was paid to attend because I joined as employee 32 and I was our first CSM there. And that's how I got into customer success. Spent uh, 18 months as VP CS at a legal tech scale up two years at a company based in Norway called Cognite as the RCS leader and now at Nazaza as chief customer officer And in my spare time, when I have some, I launched an awards event dedicated to customer success called Customer Success Excellence that you alluded to, which I'm sure we'll get into here in the podcast.
0: Absolutely. Thank you for that background. How
1: do you define specifically customer success? Yeah, I think in the simplest terms, customer success is all about value, right? I mean, this is a term that I think is probably most relevant for B2B SaaS companies, right? So we can narrow the definition on audience just a little bit. But customer success is about being the steward of value for the customer's investment. So I go out, I market to potential customers, I sell to potential customers, and I'm making promises as a business implicitly. Customer success is about ensuring those customers achieve their goals and essentially walk them down the path to that hypothetical value that was talked about in the marketing and sales process, ensure that they achieve it. Because if they don't, they churn. And if they do, they grow. So it's a worthwhile investment in being proactive toward ensuring they achieve their business outcomes and obviously grow with the company, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Awesome, awesome. Let's dive right into customer success excellence. Tell us the story behind it, what its mission is, what you've done.
1: It's been a labor of love. I think I could say that May of 2020, it was the beginning of my notice period and also coincided with a lengthy lockdown. So I had a lot of free time for multiple reasons. And I had the idea for a couple of years before that, and I finally had time to kind of buy the domain and launch the Squarespace website. And I guess, as they say, the rest is history. As I say, customer success excellence is the world's first awards program dedicated to the customer success profession. It's an idea that I was inspired by other professions that are maybe more mature. Customer success is still pretty young. So of course, there's sales excellence. I see customer service, customer experience excellence, and it felt about time for CS to have theirs. And I thought, well, there's a gap in the market. Let's try and fill it. But more importantly than that, I also kind of find that there's sometimes a bit of an echo chamber problem in customer success where the same old, let's say, air quotes here, thought leaders have been kind of around the, on the speaker circuit for five years plus. And in some ways, we're not inviting new voices into that thought leadership circle. So one of the main reasons I wanted to create customer success excellence was to try and apply a meritocratic lens to complement the current crop of thought leadership, right? Who is spending more time really doing an amazing job in their company and less time out there on podcasts and LinkedIn? In some ways, Todd, I guess, who can we find meritocratically that's the next guest on your podcast, let's say. That's why we launched the awards. We ran in June the first awards event that was for the EMEA region and we're coming to the US next year. And we award across five categories, CS leader of the year, CSM of the year, that's Customer Success Manager of the year, I should say. Customer Success Rising Star, that's somebody that's been in the industry for less than two years. And then the final two awards are about innovation, one for best use of technology and customer success. And finally, most innovative customer success initiative. So that's what it's all about. And and that well, that's what it's about, 75% of what it's about. The other 25%, we need an opportunity as a function to dress up nice, walk a red carpet and have some glasses of wine and a three-course dinner. These are in-person awards events and that was important to me as well. The anti-conference, let's say. We're here to have fun and that's another reason behind launching it. That sounds
0: amazing. So a lot of our viewers and subscribers are salespeople, customer experience people. How are CX and CS two sides of the same coin?
1: Yeah, good question. I've thought about this question a lot in my career because they are different, but they're related. And in startups, unfortunately... It seems often, especially in B2B SaaS companies, customer success implicitly is responsible for both. So the way I think about it is this. In the org chart, there is a column for customer success. That column in the job description is responsible for things like ROI for the customer, customer satisfaction, customer advocacy is another KPI that customer success teams are tracked on. You know, are we so good they want to talk to the market about how amazing we were with them? also things like overall NPS scores and things like that, and growth, right? churn and net retention or other KPIs for customer success. Now, that's great, but the challenge with those KPIs is if something else goes wrong somewhere in the customer journey, the buyer journey, somewhere in another column in the org chart, it ultimately impacts the customer success team. Because if we don't handle your support case correctly, if we make promises in the sales process that we shouldn't have, Ultimately, you're going to churn, and I measured on churn. So how do I balance the need for me to focus on my roles and responsibilities, but then also step out of my org chart column and provide kind of a customer-centric overlay that looks at the entire customer experience across whatever touchpoint they have with the company? And I think that's, bluntly, you asked me how they're two sides of the same coin, but I think, bluntly, it's part of the thing that holds us back in customer success, especially in more resource-constrained startup environments, because we're torn between focusing on our KPIs, tasks, and deliverables, but then also trying to prevent challenges in other places in the business that ultimately will fall back and impact our ability to achieve those KPIs. So very related. I think of it as a T model, right? Our column in the org chart and then kind of a customer-centric overlay across the other columns. In general, do you see companies kind of
0: taking for granted your side of the world? I mean, I see a lot more jobs posted for hunters than for customer retention. And I think there's an obvious reason in terms of what companies look for. How do you see that? And should we not be doing that?
1: Yeah. I mean, you mean kind of over indexing on sales and hunting versus kind of the nurturing and farming? Yeah. I would say I see a lot more budget for the former and then not necessarily let's take care of our golden goose. And that speaks to me. That's an organizational problem, right? And I think that's a customer success is a business model. It says, if I invest in nurturing value first, value for my company comes later. And that's a bold, ultimately bold statement to make in the SaaS world, because I'm saying, you know, we're going to make, we're going to invest in additional headcount to ensure that customers achieve value, but we will see the long-term LTV, lifetime value of our customer increase. I think now, with the, I don't know what the correct term for where we are economically is, and there's some debate there, but whatever it is, it's not going as well as it was six months ago. And you see a lot of companies regretting their investment, not in a customer success function, over-investing in new customer acquisition. And one of the things that I think is in customer success or in software generally, we need to, will be will adjust in the future. We see leading companies now achieve higher valuations, the higher their net retention rate is customer success, you could draw a straight line from your investment in customer success to net retention, right? That's pretty indisputable. Additionally, companies are now in the downturn, they need somebody to look after existing customers and budgets are drying up for new customer acquisition, right? So I think businesses are now trying to get more from their existing customer base, the investment in the team responsible to get more needs to follow, right? And I think that is something that's especially important. And when it's done poorly, what happens is, you invest a lot of money in marketing and sales, this beautiful process, I call it the expectation gap. Implicitly, by over-investing and acquiring customers with fancy slide decks, whining and dining, and for folks who have been in B2B SaaS companies for a while, you, this might really kind of trigger you, the 60-page Microsoft Word discovery document is the first thing that comes out of the post-sale part of the business as soon as they sign the contract. And you've just essentially set their expectations so high. And then the process post-sale is not customer-centric and completely underinvested in. And then you, set, you start off on the wrong foot and the customer churns. And then, of course, it, then you have to keep investing more to acquire more new customers. And it's this very vicious cycle that we really need to break.
0: Yeah. So every show, we do a stat that's kind of important. So our, our stat of the week is 21% of startup businesses prioritize customer
1: success. What does that quote mean? Well, I guess my, I shouldn't ask a question back to your question, but only 21% prioritizing customer success. That's the implication, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, good luck to them. Good luck to the 79%. I mean, I guess is my reaction. I think part of the challenge is a bit self-inflicted in the customer success space. I think a lot of uh, customer success leaders are have been in business for a shorter period of time than their counterparts in the sales, marketing, product, any other function in the business for the most part, because it's a new function. So implicitly, you have folks that are maybe 5 to 10 years. It takes them 5 years to kind of get to the V or C level, whereas a CRO has probably been doing sales for 20 years. So there's already kind of an imbalance in terms of, let's say, gravitas or ability to kind of stand up and say, no, this is important, and we kind of bang the fist on the boardroom table, right? Right. So I think that's part of our problem. In customer success, because it's relatively new and because I think folks are, on average, fewer years of experience based on seniority, they struggle to make their business case to the C-level. They get kind of slapped across the face every time a customer churns, the CEO, the CRO come in, why did we lose this customer? It's your fault, right? And we kind of get into this little defensive place where, okay, we'll we'll save customers from churning, but then we're not playing offense, yeah, that customer churn. but actually we shouldn't have sold to them in the first place because they weren't a great fit for our software. Why don't I invest my time in growing three other customers, right? And being able to pivot that conversation and get our seat at the table and talk strategically about how you could draw a straight line from net retention and churn to the type of customer, the discipline in your acquisition model, for example. Those are the type of conversations I think the customer success community is still growing into because we're so new. So there's this, I think, this chasm at the moment where we're here ready to kind of take our seat at the table, but there's still maybe some preconceptions about the utility of us sitting in that seat in customer success. And my hope, and hope is too strong a word here, but given the downturn we see at the moment where companies are kind of, the pendulum is now swinging, oh gosh, what are we gonna do? We gotta keep our customers and get cheaper acquisition costs growing existing accounts than acquiring new ones. My hope is it stays that way. And that 21% continues to grow as we have seen evidence in this economic climate that it's a worthwhile investment. So I'm gonna
0: change this question a little bit. I was gonna ask, you've already answered this, do businesses care enough about their post-sales teams? I think you've kind of answered that. I'm gonna switch it to how can we care more about our post-sales teams, whether it's motivation, tools, processes, what specifically
1: can we do to care about them? I think a couple of things. I mean, firstly, businesses can look at post-sales saying, oh, we gotta take care of our customers, it's a sunk cost, right? But you're missing so much potential if you approach it with that attitude. I think the first thing we need to do post-sale is raise the bar from doing good enough to keep the customer. Let's delight customers, right? Let's surprise, delight them. Let's think about what they really need in their context and then build our post-sale business model around it. I'll give you an example. So I think customer success leaders struggle sometimes, especially in startups when they, you know, and I spent plenty of time in my fair share of startups. There's a tendency to say, "Oh, all of these things that we need to be good at customer success don't exist. Let's build templates for a quarter a QBR deck, right? A quarterly business review. I need to build a customer success plan template so I can track the customer's business goals and chart out what we want to achieve with that customer, right? But those are artifacts and tools and I think CS leaders can get stuck in this trap a little bit about building, you know, taking the CS playbook and just without thinking too much critically, applying it to the startup, right? Saying, okay, let's put this in place because this is what good CS looks like. But that misses the point because products, buyer personas are different. You know, the customer success or post-sale for a customer that spends $1,000 a year versus a million dollars a year, don't, those are different business models and businesses. So thinking critically a little bit about what does the customer need? What's that outside-in view of how we should look after them as a post sales team? And then where are the moments of truth where we can surprise and delight them and build their loyalty, those are things that I think we can invest in better as a business when it comes to post-sale teams. It's not about treading water. It's about finding the touch points that customers care about. There's this term called appropriate experience coined by someone named Lincoln Murphy. And it basically says, there's an old way of splitting customers up called segmentation. If you pay me a million plus a year, you get tier one customer experience. If you pay me a million, 500,000 to a million, it's tier two and less than 500K, it's tier three. But that's a very arbitrary way to segment how you look after customers post-sale, right? So there's this idea of appropriate experience, which is based on the value your product provides to that customer, or let's put it differently, the value your customer will extract from your product. What is the appropriate experience to give them? Give you an example. We're here talking I think I'm allowed to say this, on Zoom. If a CSM, for if somebody on the post-sale team and onboarding support customer success showed up with a two-hour, 50-slide deck about the business value of Zoom, I'm not sure it's a great use of our time, right? It's not an experience that's appropriate for the investment that you have made in a Zoom account, right? But of course, if it's a different product, that customer success post-sale playbook would look a lot different based on the appropriate experience of the customer. So, short answer, their conclusion is really just about thinking outside in as a post-sale function, and then using that outside-in thinking to find those moments of value and surprising and delighting customers programmatically.
0: Let's talk about you personally for a minute. So, 2021 Top 25 CS
1: Influencer Award. What does that mean to you? Well, I remember where I was. I was at dinner with my team, and I, I you know, in the CS space. This is a big milestone for some folks, and I guess myself included. It meant a lot. I felt underqualified to receive the award. I think I was at dinner with my team and kind of got the email and kind of scrolled all the way down to the bottom because there's a top 25 list and then there's a top 100 list. And I was shocked, man. It was a really exciting milestone, I would say. But I think for me, the most important thing is that people... My approach in all of this is just telling the story that I've gone through in terms of I've built CS a few times in startups. I've made more mistakes than I think I've made success. But there's value in sharing that story with customer success. So I was just glad that that approach is is seen as valuable to folks because it's open and it's transparent. And I think that's more of that is how we can solve that customer success challenge that I mentioned before, right? Around getting our seat at the tables, talking about uh, this not just the operational aspects, but the strategic aspects of customer success. So it was a real privilege and glad to have provided some value to some folks, I think is how I'll put that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So in your blog, you talk about finding a mentor. Why is that so important? Ex-
1: explain that to our audience, please. Yeah, nobody celebrates. I think the milestone for me was a bit like a half birthday. Nobody celebrates it, but you think about it maybe for a second. This was my career decade. So I used uh, I, 10, June 18th, 2012 was my first day and my first full-time job. I'm not counting baseball umpire and part-time valet Parker. I'm talking more kind of corporate roles. And I use the opportunity to sit back and think about kind of what are the lessons I wish my younger self knew after 10 years. Finding a mentor was one of those eight lessons. It was important for me because it provided me kind of a sounding board. Let me give a bit more context. The mentor that I think comes to mind for me, his name is Chris Rauch, and he was my boss at Fair Sale, where I was employee 32 and spent five years. And I was young and ambitious and wanted to, in some ways, I was overly enthusiastic And he was very helpful to help me see, I can tunnel vision quite quickly. And he was very helpful for me to see a broader perspective, broader picture, take a breath, zoom out, think about if this is the best use of your time. I think the biggest thing he taught me, which is super relevant in customer success is the power of no. There's a TED talk by a guy I think named Kenny Nguyen. And he talks about the yes sword and the no shield. And in customer success, you wanna be the hero for your customer. So you say yes all the time and your arm that has the sword in it gets tired. And the way to rest that arm is to hold up the no shield and tell the customer actually I'm not going to do this for you. My job is not to carry you down your path to value, it's to guide you, but your legs are doing the walking. Right? And that was a really helpful lesson for me early in my career because it helped kind of me think less about doing stuff for customers and instead showing them the path to their kind of customer success, which is something that they needed to own. So that was really powerful, I think, and it was great to kind of have the opportunity with his guidance at a younger age, let's say, to take on a big role and grow with the business.
0: Now, I know you answered this probably a few different ways earlier, but in a general sense, what do you wish every business understood that may might make your job easier as a consultant of CS? What do you wish they just knew as you walked in the door? I'll go
1: back to what I said earlier briefly and then pivot. Customer success is a business model or customer-led growth is philosophy that customer value at every touch point is what drives our business efficiently. That's a CEO led initiative or mandate. It's in the company culture and the DNA. That means at the end of the quarter, we're one deal away from our number that quarter. But if the customer's not a good fit and we can't provide them value long term, we should turn away that prospect, right? That's the philosophical business model. Because yes, it's great to achieve my quota for the quarter. But what's worse is we over in serving a customer that's not qualified to be here. And we end up losing money in aggregate on that deal. There's a guy who, he wrote a book, his name's Dave Jackson. And there's a quote in his book that I really like. I don't always agree with it, but I think he says it more to get a reaction than to teach, which is that customer success is a bad solution to a CEO problem. And his argument is, in an ideal world, we don't need customer success because the product is designed, the company is designed to ensure at every touch point the customer is successful and gets value. Today is not that day. Obviously, I still have a job. I think many other professionals still do too. But I do think you know, in the future of future business models, you productize business values. So every time you log in, it says, here's how much time you saved versus your old process or the product itself suggests your next best action. We're not there yet. But for me, the future of customer success is less of a team and more of across the business initiative. So Answer to your question is CS is not a miracle worker. Churn is not a CS problem. It's a company-wide problem that ends with the CSM, right? They're the ones that have the conversation, but a lot of things went wrong before it got to CS, before the customer decided to leave. Sure. There's
0: probably three topics that come up on almost every show. Maybe some of it's it's my fault, but regardless, we talk about coming out of a post-pandemic world. We talk about whether you agree there's a recession or how severe that is. And then the third one is this trend of silent quitting or quiet quitting. So we've talked about the customer side. We've talked about the business. What about unhappy employees, folks that feel like they just don't have the tool? They want to be great, whether it's at the customer experience, customer success salespeople. They want to be great. They just don't feel like they have the tools or support to do the job that they thought they were being hired to do. Any
1: thoughts on that? It's a tough one, especially the more remote we are, the easier it is to, let's say, only perform the responsibilities in my job description and not kind of reach out and plug gaps and fix issues. That's a failure. I think in customer success, it happens a lot because of what I talked about before. The business puts pressure on CS to save the customer, even though there are other things that went wrong before it got to customer success. So you're left carrying or eating. I don't know if I could be so profane, so I'll water it down, a crap sandwich that someone's fed you because it was, you know, and you slowly made that sandwich as you marketed to the wrong customer, sold to the wrong customer, didn't onboard them correctly. For me, the most important thing in my approach in management is asking, my job is to unblock your path as a CSM, as a CS leader, as a post-sale employee. If your job is to support customers, where's your block? Okay, let's take that and put it on our roadmap to improve so that you're unblocked. I really try and build a culture of togetherness in making our day jobs easier tomorrow. So it's easy to hire more people in support or hire more CSMs. But if we keep coming across systemic issues, it's our job to say, let's invest now in solving them so that I don't have to hire as many people and their job can have less friction. So I think there's a lot of parallels between customer success and employee success around our job as customer success is to proactively help our customers achieve value. Well, my job as a CS leader is to proactively help our employees deliver value. And if there's things that are blocking their path, if there's friction on that journey, just like with the customer journey, we got to remove it. For me, I think the parallels are pretty obvious, but I think a lot of organizations culturally don't have the time or space in customer success teams to really kind of give the team the space to fix the systemic problem. They're in firefighting mode, not fire prevention mode. And it's management and company culture mandate to really kind of get them into the business of fire prevention.
0: Sure. I'm going to put you on the spot here.
1: Who has better food, California or London? Ooh, trying to think. So you know where my mind immediately went? I thought about who's your audience? I think I'm a politician at heart, Todd. Who's your audience? What do they want to hear? I don't care. Let me tell you exactly how I feel. California, mm, that's a tough question. California has better Mexican food. There's no good Mexican food in London, in the UK, but London in the UK has much better Indian food than California. And kind of, I think, culturally, fun fact, you know, in California, your kind of local place that you go is a Mexican restaurant for the most part. In the UK, it's an Indian restaurant. So that kind of, that balance, I find quite interesting. I'm going to say London has more world-class restaurants than California. And I appreciate, I just called out an 8 million versus 40 million population places in that way. But I'm going to say, you know what, London on aggregate, So many different cultures, so many different cuisines. It's always got something new. I'm going to land on London and piss off everybody from back home. I'm sorry.
0: Well, it's okay. The audience is mostly my mom's friends, So I don't think you have to worry too much. You might get a couple (laughs) of comments. They haven't figured out Twitter yet. So yeah, there you go. Don't worry about Twitter.
1: Hello, Todd's mom's friends.
0: And welcome to the podcast. There you go. (laughs) A lot of people do. They get around. So next question. We're starting a CS party bus. And I ask everybody this. Maybe we call it a trolley in London. But we're starting a, a CS party bus. Who are a few people? You get to be the driver. Who do you want to pick up? And it doesn't have to be where you are. You can pick anywhere in the world. Who do you go? Three or four people you want on that
1: bus. Okay, so remember, of course, in London, we have double-decker buses as well. So I, might, I won't give you more than three or four, but we have a capacity, larger capacity. So who comes to mind? I'm going to pick up Mark Benioff. And he's not a CS professional, really. But one of the things I love that Mark has done is he's really built this culture and idea of ohana, which I think I'm going to butcher the translation. It's, I think, a Hawaiian native term, but it's basically about family and family amongst customers, family amongst employees. And I love, you know, we talked earlier about moments of delight. I love that culture, which you're in the sales force ohana. So I think that's really interesting. And I think it's something he's infused throughout the company as a culture builder. Nick Mehta, CEO of Gainsight, probably got to be there. He also wears really fancy shoes all the time, snazzy, sparkling shoes. So he'll bring the party for sure. Gosh, who else Who else comes to mind? I might just land with those two and they can bring all their friends. They know a lot more people in the CXCS space than I do. But those two really stand out to me as important party guests. That sounds awesome. So we're coming up on time. But what we like to do at the end is kind of give
0: you a chance, 45 seconds, a minute, Shameless plug, what do you have going on? What's next for you? Why should people be following you? And tell us what you're about.
1: Well, I have no idea why people should be following me. Again, I just share what I've done in my career and hopefully one person somewhere amongst your mom's friends finds this very valuable. On a more serious note, the Customer Success Excellence Awards are something I'm really passionate about. I think I'm in the category that I talked about earlier, of people, the same people in the talk track for five years that spend more time talking than doing. I say that with some little bit tongue in cheek, but finding that next generation of thought leaders, those who have really kind of innovated our profession is so important for us. We're still a young function and getting our seat at the table, pivoting from fire, firefighting to fire prevention. We need those voices to move us forward. So we're launching customer success excellence in the United States in 2023. The first half, we'll have the in-person awards event. Nominations will open earlier than that. It will be for the Americas region. So it's CSE Americas. And then again, we'll be back in EMEA for the second EMEA Awards website, customer success excellence.com. You can register your interests to find out more information. We don't charge. And a lot of these awards programs, there's a lot of, you know, pay to play, no cost to apply and nominate. We're doing this for the customer success space, customer success community. So we'd love to have as many people, as big of a tent as we can. So there's my shameful, shameless, I don't know, shameless plug. There it is. No, that
0: was awesome. Thank you so much. We just spent 30 minutes with Alex Farmer founder of Customer Success Excellence, chief customer officer at Nizaza, author, CS award winner. Alex, thank you so much for your time.
1: Thank you, Todd, appreciate it.
0: Thank you for listening to Humans of CX, a podcast brought to you by OzoneTel. If you enjoyed today's show, visit ozontel.com to learn more about how our robust omnichannel communications platform makes it the industry leader within the customer experience space. You can find Humans of CX on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, as well as other platforms that are featuring podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and share. Thank you so much for listening.